Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. The craziest five years of his life brought him to this moment, and he had never been more nervous. He's just sitting outside a little house on the outskirts of this city called Ephesus. Look, throughout the course of his life, he's met lots of people. He's had lots of conversations. He's conducted lots of interviews, but this one is different. This is the one that he's really been looking forward to. This is the one that he's excited about, and this is the one that Yeah, he's probably most nervous about. How did he get here? How did he get to sitting outside a little house on the outskirts of Ephesus? Well, that's a story in itself. Five years earlier, he was a doctor in a city called Troas, just doing his best to help people who needed help, you know? One day, a troublemaker arrived in Troas, though, or at least that's what a lot of people called him, a troublemaker. His name was actually Paul. Weird looking dude, short guy, bow-legged, monobrow. But what he lacked in stature, he made up for with this loud voice, this quick wit, and an incredible story. A story about a man named Jesus who died and rose again. Okay, so Luke is a doctor, and he finds that real interesting died and rose again. I mean, it's impossible, right? But it's pretty interesting and maybe made more interesting by the fact that along with Paul, arriving in Troas was this whole company that traveled with him and they all said they were eyewitnesses, that they saw Jesus die and rise again. Well, as a doctor, Luke, well, he found that interesting. Impossible, of course, but interesting. And then one day, this Paul, this Short, weird-looking dude. He shows up at Luke's doctor's office. He had these debilitating headaches. They got so bad that he couldn't even see. So he called it, Paul said, he called it a, a thorn in his flesh. He said, it's a thorn in my flesh. He came to see Luke. In fact, his friends brought him to Luke because word was that Luke was the best doctor in Troas. Not only a great practitioner, they said, but a student, a a researcher. He's got this analytical mind. He methodically goes through all of the steps and all of the truth until he arrives on the best course of action. So they brought him to Luke. Well, for Luke's part, he's never met anyone like Paul. I mean, the guy's in so much pain, and yet he's got this energy, this drive to tell people what Paul calls the gospel, the gospel, the the good news about Jesus. He says, Luke, listen, listen, listen. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. Not, Not to put on a show, but for salvation, Luke. To bring hope and life to the world. Not just to Jews like me, Paul said, but to Gentiles like you. Luke was impressed with his passion. I mean, it's impossible, right? Someone doesn't die and rise again, but he was interested. So interested, in fact, that when Paul was up and around again, when the company was ready to resume their missionary journey, Luke signed up. He went along with them as a doctor, which was a good idea because Paul 
really needed a doctor. Like if I stood up here and I told you about a guy who faced, or was beat up, stoned, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, you'd go, man, that's a hard knock life. <laughs> Luke would have told you that was like a week in the life of the Apostle Paul. So Paul really needed Luke. But here's what's crazy. Over the weeks and months, Luke began to realize that he needed Paul too. See, he had this analytical mind, Dr. Luke. This methodical mind, this research-based mind. And, and so he kept asking Paul question after question after question after question about this Jesus. He talked to the people who were traveling with Paul. And he got answer after answer after answer after answer until one day, Luke went from interested to intrigued and then he eventually went from intrigued to convinced. He put his faith in this Jesus. And Dr. Luke decided to do something. He decided to compile a story of Jesus from beginning to end that would be so well-researched and so methodical that it would work great for minds like his for students like him. So he began to conduct dozens and dozens of interviews. He read countless stories and transcripts of the life of Jesus and the story that was beginning to emerge, the picture that he was beginning to see was incredible. Dr. Luke thought to himself, and this Jesus is everything that Paul said he was and even more. And that's how he got to sitting beside a little house in the outskirts of a city called Ephesus. So nervous, so nervous. This was the moment. This was the interview that he had been waiting for. It's crazy, right? He's so nervous to meet a 72-year-old woman. I mean, he had already conducted some amazing interviews. Dr. Luke sat down with this guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, not just one of them, but like the leader of the disciples. And Peter said to Luke, you know what? When you look at Jesus, it shows you that God is a God of redemption. Second chances, third chances, four thousandth chances. Peter said to Luke, you better write that down. And Luke said, I'm writing that down, Peter. I got it. I got it. Dr. Luke met with a man named James. James was the little brother of Jesus. James said, we grew up with him. And then one day he starts this ministry and he's walking around, he's telling people, I'm the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And we're like, what? You're a big brother, man. What are you talking about? You're crazy. Stop saying such weird stuff. We tried to get him to be quiet. We tried to even make fun of him, but he wouldn't stop. And then James said, and then I saw him die. I saw him rise again. And he went from being just my big brother to my savior and my Lord. And Luke wrote that down. Over the last few days in this same city in Ephesus, he met with another one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named John. And John said, Luke, I'll tell you what, when you look at Jesus, it just shows you that God is victory and God is power and God is strength, but most of all, God is love. God is love. In fact, John referred to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved, which Luke thought was just awesome. He wrote it down. But this was the one that he'd been waiting for, this interview. 
So he's sitting outside this little house on the outskirts of a city called Ephesus, and then the door opens. He gets to his feet, he walks over. He kisses this 72-year-old woman on both cheeks. He says, thank you so much for seeing me, ma'am. She said, oh, you're welcome. But you can call me Mary. And for the next week, Dr. Luke sat down and he interviewed the mother of Jesus. Talked about his life, all the highs and all the lows, all the good times and all the hard times. All the celebration, all the amazement, all the miracles, and yeah, all the heartbreak too. And Dr. Luke was amazed at the vivid details of her descriptions. Incredible. He told her. She said, oh, I've treasured all these things in my heart. I haven't forgotten a thing. The man who wrote the most verses in the New Testament of the Bible is a doctor from Troas named Luke. And in this five-part Christmas series, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be paying special focus, special attention on the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. Why? Because those first two chapters, Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, they're the most quoted chapters in the entire Bible when you get to this time of year, the Christmas season. I wanna look at Christmas from five different perspectives, culminating in our Christmas services, December 23rd and 24th, as Dave already told you, where we're gonna talk about a group of shepherds that were out in the fields and an angel spoke to them and he said, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news, great joy. Good news, great joy. I wanna talk about that for these next five weeks. Good news, great joy. 2,000 years later, good news, great joy. Still, good news, great joy. As Dave already mentioned, church is growing like crazy. Many people from our city are showing up and what an honor, what a privilege. If you're here for the first time or, or second time or whatever, just welcome here. Welcome here. We're preparing ourselves for what's going to be the biggest Christmas services we've ever had. So I would ask you please to just get those times figured out. And then I'm gonna ask you to do something which is kind of hypocritical for me to ask anybody to do. I'm gonna ask you to go online and pre-register and get those tickets. I hate doing stuff like that. I never do stuff like that, I never do. I just show up, man. Like why do I gotta, like, why do I gotta get a ticket? Let me explain to you why we would love it if you could get a ticket, okay? Because with the way the church is growing, we just want to make sure that there is space for everybody who wants to attend a Southside Christmas service this year to attend. So we wanna get a little bit, this is not a Mike Manis word, but here it is, organized, okay? That's what we wanna do. ADHD Mike says we're gonna get a little bit organized, okay? But that's what we really wanna try to do. And it's worth it because we just wanna make sure that we make enough room. And so I would say this to you. You can go on to that. Uh, you can text the keyword Christmas to 604-670-3040. I don't know why every time I say text, I do this. I don't even text with two thumbs. I text with one finger and it takes me 45 minutes to say one word, okay? That's the honest truth, it's terrible. I even get like a, a cramp sometimes in my hand if I have to text too much. Anyways, what was I saying? Oh yeah, register. And if you're thinking of who you want to bring this Christmas, you've, sh you've noticed this already. Let me remind you of something you already know. Something about this time of year, People who would never accept an invitation to church, they might just accept an invitation this time of year. So be asking yourself, I'll be asking myself, who are we gonna bring to Christmas services this year? If you have like seven different friends and 
you're bringing them to five different services, register for all of them. We just wanna make sure we make enough space. Because not too many weeks go by in my life that I don't hear from somebody saying to me, my life changed because of a decision I made at a Southside Christmas service. It's pretty incredible. Over the last few months, I've heard two different kind of unique stories. These two guys, two friends of mine, they said, you know what? The only church service that I ever went to in my life was Southside Christmas for years. It was like our family tradition. We would go every year. Wouldn't go to any other services, just Christmas, you know? It's like a family tradition. Wouldn't go to Easter, wouldn't go to any Sunday, but on this particular day at Christmas, it was part of our tradition, we would go. And they went for one year, two years, three years, four years, and like fifth year, sixth year, seventh year, all of a sudden they're sitting there in the service and God spoke to them. And what used to be tradition became truth and it radically altered the course of their lives. So I would say this, if you've been inviting somebody year after year after year, and maybe they always say no, or maybe they show up and they're like, wow, that was really neat, and they never show up again, keep inviting God's up to something. A lot of times for me, I have an advantage point that maybe you don't. I hear a lot of feedback from people who show up to our church any given Sunday for the first time, and one of the things that they always say is this, I felt at home. Man, is that a big deal to me. That matters so, so, so much. There's so many churches in the world right now, when people walk in, they don't feel that. Uh, They don't feel that. feel a lot of things, they don't feel that. So I would just say to you, if if you serve on the Southside home team, thank you so much, so amazing. On the parking team, kids team, youth team, whatever team, if you're teching it up, if you're ushering, whatever you're doing, amazing. Church joke, ushering. Instead of saying, if you're an usher, I say, if you're ushering. You go, wow, Mike's funny, but you didn't even laugh. Okay, that's cool. Oh, yeah, so Christmas, we might need more. Okay, so if, if if Southside is your church, you're regular at Southside, you've been here for more than one week in a row now, okay, and you're not serving yet, I would love it, we would love it. Would you be willing to serve for the Christmas services? because we're gonna be hosting a lot of people. And what I want is I want them to walk in and go, man, I don't know why, I just, it feels at home. Somebody was ready for me, somebody prepared for me, somebody was generous with their time just for me. So text that keyword Christmas to the number. Something, 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 3040. Okay, Luke chapter one, starting at verse one. Good news, good news. Great joy. This is Dr. Luke writing. So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of the wonderful harvest of scripture and history that took place among us using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses who served this word with their very lives. Since I have investigated all the reports in close detail starting from the story's beginning, I decided to write it all out for you most honorable Theophilus so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. So Luke wrote this gospel for a wealthy, influential Roman official named Theophilus. So we get the sense here that somewhere along the line, Theophilus has placed his faith in Jesus. He's talked to enough eyewitnesses. 
He's read enough reports. By the way, this is a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Around the Roman Empire at this point, tons and tons of transcripts of little parts of the Jesus story were circulating like crazy. So somehow Theopolis has put it all together. He's placed his faith in Jesus. But what he realizes, what he really wants, is he wants an analytical, methodical, well-researched account of Jesus from beginning to end. And so Theophilus commissions somebody. He finds the most brilliant person he can think of, someone with an analytical researcher's mind, and he commissions Luke to write this gospel. Theophilus wants a gospel for himself, for his family, for his friends, so he can hand out to other people, hey, I want you to know about this Jesus, you know? And so while Luke is traveling along on Paul's missionary journeys, he's also writing, he's researching, he's interviewing, he's listening, and he's writing and writing and writing and writing this gospel. And so what I wanna do with the time that we have remaining today is I just wanna ask two questions. They're big questions, though. Why and who? Why? Why did Luke write this? He's a real dude, man. He's a doctor from a city called Troas. Why? Why take the time to write it? Why go along with Paul on all these crazy journeys? For that matter, why did Paul go on all these crazy journeys? Why did he get beat to a pulp over and over and over again just to preach this thing called the gospel? Why did Theophilus commission it? Okay, how about this? Why 2,000 years later are we still celebrating Christmas? Why is it still good news and great joy? What I wanna do is I wanna give you two wrong answers and one right answer, okay? First wrong answer. We are still celebrating Christmas, not because Jesus was born in a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. Now, awesome nativity scenes, right? Beautiful, historically, almost all of them are inaccurate, but whatever, okay, so it's cute. Like we, we put out the nativity scene, we cool Christmas carols, right? For the, 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 the manger in the stable in a little town called Bethlehem. But can we just be honest? If that was the most extraordinary thing about Jesus, do you think we'd still be celebrating Christmas 2,000 years later? Do you think we'd still be saying good news, great joy? I don't think so. Like, there's so many people throughout history that have been born in even more extraordinary circumstances than that. Okay, so I, I, I don't think it's because Jesus was born in a manger, in a stable, in a little town called Bethlehem. Okay, some would say, okay, it's not because of the, 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 the manger, it's because of the cross, the reason why Christmas is still good news and great joy is because of a bloody Roman cross in the city called Jerusalem. Not true. It's not true. That's not why we're still celebrating Christmas. That's not why Christmas is still good news and great joy. It's not. Like historians and scholars universally agree that Jesus Christ was a scholar and a teacher, a rabbi, they called him, a dynamic preacher who gathered a large following in the first century of Palestine. He ran into trouble with religious Jews. And to appease the religious Jews, the Roman officials had Jesus crucified. But here's the truth. Hundreds of thousands of people were crucified throughout history. Like if the most extraordinary thing about Jesus Christ was that he died on a Roman cross, he maybe, maybe would be a little footnote in history somewhere. That's it. Why? Why write this gospel? 
Why celebrate Christmas? Why do we still say good news, great joy 2,000 years later? It's not a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. It's not a bloody Roman cross in a city called Jerusalem. Here's why, the empty tomb. That's it, that's the only reason. The empty tomb. That not only did Jesus Christ step into human history in Bethlehem, not only did he die on a Roman cross, he stepped out of the grave. Jesus himself said this, I will die at the hands of men. On the third day, I will rise. That's an insane thing to say. This is like a punchline to a joke. It makes absolutely no sense unless, 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 unless he pulled it off. And the historical record says he pulled it off. Well, that changes everything. That's why Luke wrote what he wrote. That's why Theophilus, Theophilus commissioned it. That's why we still celebrate Christmas. Good news, great joy. You understand, like, everything changes in the light of the empty tomb. So now we look back at the manger, and the manger takes on way more significance, doesn't it? Because now we look and we go, well, wait a minute. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was fully man and fully God. He stepped into human history on a rescue mission. I get it. In light of the empty cross, it makes sense. Or the empty tomb, it makes sense. Or we look to the cross. Man, it changes the way we look at the cross in light of the empty tomb, doesn't it? Because we think to ourselves, on the cross, Jesus said over and over and over again, Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You understand what the empty tomb means? The empty tomb means that he has the authority to forgive, changes everything. If you flip forward into the New Testament, a little bit further, you get to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 says something absolutely incredible. It says this, you and me, you know what we should do? We should fix our eyes on Jesus. We should fix our eyes on Jesus. We should fix our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer, the pioneer and perfecter perfecter of our faith. The pioneer, that's an interesting word. The pioneer. I wonder if that would help us explain why we're still celebrating Christmas, why it's still good news, great joy. The pioneer, the pioneer. I think of historical pioneers. I'm kind of a history guy, you know? 1947, 1947 pioneer, Chuck Yeager. What a name, Chuck Yeager. I wish that was my name. I'm changing my name to Chuck Yeager. That's a cool name. Air Force pilot, first guy ever to, to fly an airplane uh, past the speed of sound. We, we call the speed of sound Mach 1.0, like I'm some sort of an expert, right? Like I've never flown. Um, Mach 1.0, Chuck Yeager flew one, Mach 1.06. He's a pioneer, here's why. Because up until that point, people believed in something, maybe you've even heard it referred to, people believed in something called the sound barrier. Have you ever heard of it? The sound barrier. What they basically said, many scientists said this, that when you pass the speed of sound in an airplane, it will be like you hit a brick wall, a barrier. You and the airplane will disintegrate instantly. Some people weren't quite so negative. They said this, when you pass the speed of sound, you'll just lose the ability to control the plane. The wings will fall off and you'll plummet to your death, which... Doesn't sound great either. Chuck Yeager thought, no, I'm just gonna do it. 
and he did it. Today, by the way, there's planes that fly just about six times the speed of sound. It's a pioneer, right? 1953, a couple of pioneers, Tenzig Norgay, Edmund Hillary, they climbed to the top of this mountain called Everest. First ones ever to do it. Well, let me explain. People thought Everest was unclimbable, or at least this. You might get to the top, but you ain't never coming back down to tell anyone about it. Because in 1924, there was a British expedition that went to climb to the top of Everest. So there's the two guys, George Mallory and Andy Irvine. They got within 800 feet of the top. And they're right there, and their buddies are cheering them. I don't know if they were cheering them on, you know, with little flags and stuff, but they were right there, 800 feet from the top, and they saw them ascend, and then all of a sudden, this massive storm just arrived at the top of Everest. We don't know if they ever made it to the top or not. They were never really heard from, or they never heard from again, except Georgia Mallory's body was found four decades later. So people were beginning to say this, oh, you might make it to the top, but Everest will never let you come down and tell all about it. Until 1953, when Hillary and, and Norgay did it. 1954, a pioneer named Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister, he ran one mile in under four minutes. I call him a pioneer because people said you can't do it. You can't do it. You, you, you can't run a mile under four minutes. Doctors said this. If you try to run, if you try to push your body that fast for that long, what'll happen is you will break your heart, literally. That your heart will explode in your chest. Roger Bannister was like, no, nah, I don't think so. So one day, in July of 1954, on the campus of Oxford University, Roger Bannister ran a mile in under four minutes. And since then, dozens and dozens of people have done it. Last one that came to my mind when I was thinking of pioneers was 1969, Neil Armstrong. All right, Apollo 11. I said, we're gonna put a man on the moon. We're gonna, guy, man's gonna walk on the moon, you know? The guys from Apollo 11 were pioneers though because people were saying, you can't do it, you can't do it. They said, look at, look at, we don't even know what the moon's made of. We don't think it's Swiss cheese, but it might be, you know? But no, scientists were like, we don't know what the moon is made of. And when you try to land, we don't know if it's like hard enough to accept a spacecraft. It might just sink right in. And that's the last you'll hear of them. Other people said, no, no, no. You know what? The, the atmosphere of the moon is combustible. Jet propulsion will ignite it, gone, over. Others said this, that if you put astronauts in zero gravity, they're going to go insane, They'll lose their ability to navigate and they'll never, they might get to the moon, they'll never get back. And then, Neil Armstrong stepped onto the surface of the moon and he said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So interesting to me. Jesus is a pioneer like that. What I wanna to suggest to you, I wanna talk big picture and little picture. What I wanna to suggest to you is that the mountain that all of us as human beings face, the most fearful mountain that any of us face is this thing called death. We all ascend it. We all ascend this mountain called death, but it's just like Everest in 1953. They're like, well, you ain't ever coming back. That's the thing about death, right? 
But then Jesus is the pioneer. He says, oh, I'm gonna ascend it, and then I'll come back. And, and the promise that Jesus has for you and for me, he's the pioneer, he's the pioneer, he's the pioneer. He says, hey, why don't you follow me? Why, why don't you follow me? We'll go up to the top of this thing called death, then we'll head back down the other side to green pastures. That's the plan. He's the pioneer, he's the pioneer. He broke through this barrier called death into eternal life. And now his invitation is real simple. Hey, follow me. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You guys ever hear that before? One small step for man. Uh, I think it's so cool. Neil Armstrong on the moon there and he's jumping, you know, and he's got like this 85 inch vertical because there's barely any gravity on the moon, just so cool. You don't think it's cool, so let's just move on with the, uh, with the, uh, but I think, you know, one small step, one small step, one small step. You wanna know the, the greatest leap in all of eternity was the first small step that Jesus took out of the empty tomb. He's the pioneer, he says, hey, I have an idea now, follow me, follow me, let's go. The life, life, life starts now and stretches into forever. That's big picture. He's the pioneer and the perfecter. In other words, everything that needed to be done, he did it. But now I wanna talk about little picture. I wanna talk about little picture. Your life, my life. So there's Chuck Yeager, right? He's got the sound barrier. I think for you and me, sometimes we got a sound barrier in our lives. I'm gonna talk about you right now. I wanna talk about little picture for you. See, there's so many of us right now, you're living with this barrier in front of you based on the voices of your past. It's a sound barrier. There's things that have been said to you in your life by others and by you that place you in this moment right now where you feel unable to crash through. So you're caught up in all sorts of coping, habits, hangups, addiction, And what I wanna say to you right now is that Jesus stepped into human history for big picture, but he also came for small picture. And I felt led today just to give you a moment, whether you're watching online or here in person, I wanna ask you honestly to just sit and think for just a moment, what are the barriers that are holding you back right now? What are the voices from your past that have spoken words of death and condemnation and failure over you? Because I promise you, Jesus wants to break you through that. You're so much more than what they said. I think of Hillary and Norgay climbing Everest. This is a massive mountain. And I wanna speak to you. What are the mountains you are facing right now in your life? The insurmountable challenges, the things that you think are just overwhelming, you can't do it. You can't do it, it's too much. You're, you're caught up in this spectacular moment, but you just don't feel like you can move forward. I don't know what that challenge is for you, I don't. It might be relational, it might be financial, it, 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 it might be emotional. Man, you, you feel like you've been stuck in an emotional pit for so long that you don't know if you can pull yourself out. What is it for you? because what I'm telling you is that he's the pioneer and perfecter of your big picture, but also this moment that you're in right now, he wants to let you know that he's gonna be with you and he's gonna give you the strength to take one next step at a time.
I think a Roger Bannister and he's running, you know, and they say, man, you, you can't run under a four minute mile, your heart's gonna break. And I just wonder for you right now, as you're looking ahead, do you feel like your future is dismal? Your future is dark because of a broken heart. People who came into your life, you thought that they would always be there and then they were gone. Maybe you have a broken relationship with your parents. Maybe you're a parent here today and, and somewhere along the line, you had this relationship with your son or your daughter and it got fractured. And you thought, oh, soon enough it'll be better, but it's not getting better. And you've been waiting week after week, month after month, year after year. And right now you're just wondering, how do I move forward with a broken heart? How do I move forward with a broken heart? As I was praying for you this morning, I thought of that phrase, I keep thinking about it over and over and over again, one small step, one small step, one small step, one small step. And I wanna confess something to you. I'm like everybody else right now, you know that. Man, I got barriers. I got mountains that I'm trying to climb. I got heartbreak in my life that I'm trying to move past, I do. And I was praying for you and me and I'm just wondering, okay, well, what's that small step that we need to take? You know, is it faith? Is it faith? Like we believe in God, I think it is, but I wanna make it even smaller. I wanna make it even simpler. What if we could take this one small step? One small step I would suggest is just ask yourself, how are you talking to you? Because I think of all those voices, listen, I think of all those voices, Chuck Yeager, brick wall gone. Hillary and Norgay, oh, you might get to the top, you're never gonna get back. Roger Bannister, your heart's actually gonna explode in your chest. Neil Armstrong, you're gonna go nuts, you're never gonna make it back. I realize that's how I talk to me a lot. When I, think about the, when I think about the barriers that are holding me back, so often, when I'm talking to me, I'm saying things like, I can't. I won't, I'll never. When I think about the mountains that I need to climb, I'm thinking too big, too much. When I think of the heartbreak that I would love to see God heal in my life so often, I'm thinking, well, he heals other people, but probably not me. And it just hit me. He's the pioneer, he's the pioneer, he's the pioneer. You know what that means? That means what's impossible for others is possible with God. And I wanna, I wanna ask you, do you think we could take that small step? Say, God, help me to start speaking life. Help me to start speaking like somebody who's a child of a heavenly father who makes the impossible possible. Why, 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 why? Why good news, great joy, 2,000 years later, the empty tomb, he's the pioneer, he's the perfecter. And who, who? I end with this. So Luke wrote his gospel to this guy named Theophilus, you know? This wealthy Roman official. But it was God's plan all along that this, that this gospel that Luke wrote was gonna make its way into the Bible. You know, this Luke guy, he's brilliant. Super analytical, he put together an amazing gospel and it was God's plan to put it into the Bible. Now the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. 
In the last 50 years alone, the Bible has sold 3.9 million copies. There's billions and billions and billions and billions of Bibles in the world. Some of them are even being read, okay? It's just, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. So you ask yourself this question, who then? Who, 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 who? Who did Luke write the gospel for, Theophilus or the billions? Who is it for, the, the many or the one? The many or the one? Did he write it for the many or did he write it for the one? And if you heard me speak before, you might think the next thing I'm gonna say is, yes, it's both, it's not. It's not both. It's not both. He wrote it for the one. He wrote it for the one. God's equation is always one plus one. Billions and billions and billions. You know how you get there? One plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one plus one. That's the way God sees the world. He's immensely powerful. He's infinitely personal. He sees you. He loves you. I don't know if there's barriers or mountains or heartbreak that you're dealing with right now, but I know this, it was his idea that you'd be tuning in online right now. It was his idea that you'd be here in person right now to know that he's the God of the impossible. He loves you so much, not just in theory, not just like it's his job, you know? God loves the world, that's what he does, and I'm part of the world. No, no, he knows you. Every hair in your head or lack thereof, he knows you, he loves you personally and completely. The power of one, the power of one, the power of one. C.S. Lewis said it this way, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, and marry. It's the power of one. It's the power of one. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. The power of one. You flip forward just a little bit in Luke's gospel, you end up in Luke chapter 15, and, and Jesus really, really reiterates the power of one. He tells three stories back to back. He talks about the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, we talked about that a little bit last week. And he tells this other story called the, the parable of the lost sheep, and, and I just love that story, you know? Jesus says there was this shepherd once, good shepherd, it's a good shepherd, a good shepherd. He, he had 100 sheep, you know? And at some point, one of his 100 sheep, 1% of his flock, you know, one of his 100 sheep wandered off. We don't know. Like, Jesus doesn't tell us why that one sheep wandered off, you know? Maybe the sheep wandered off because the sheep is stupid. Sheep are kind of dumb, aren't they? Maybe the sheep just wanders off because it's stupid, and sometimes sheep are stupid. Maybe this sheep wanders off because it's like a rebel sheep, like a black sheep, you know what I mean? Like, he made some bad choices. You thought I was gonna say bad. I'm not that predictable, okay? But, but, but honestly, maybe he's just a rebellious sheep and he just headed off his own way, maybe. Or, or maybe this sheep wandered off not because of any choices that he made, but because of what other people did, what other sheep did. You know, maybe he was beat up and beat down by other sheep, trampled, left out to the side where he lost his way. 
I think the point is, Jesus doesn't tell us why this sheep wandered off because it doesn't really matter. Probably a combination of all three. Probably could have been a smarter sheep. He could have been a less rebellious sheep, I guess. And probably his life was tough. But anyways, here's the point. You got this good shepherd, right? And his good shepherd, he had 100 sheep, but now one of the sheep goes wandering off into danger and darkness. Danger and darkness. But he's still got 99. According to the equation, he's still got 99% of his sheep. You wonder, okay, well, okay. Well, I mean, that's not too bad. But this good shepherd is pretty extraordinary. What he does is he, he leaves, he chooses to leave the 99 sheep in the sheepfold and he goes after that one lost sheep. He puts himself in harm's way to rescue that one lost sheep from danger, darkness, and despair. And he carries that sheep home. And I love that story a lot. That's the power of one. Because I know something about you. I do. I know something about you. You've been that one sheep. I don't know why. I don't know why you ended up where you were. I don't. Maybe you're there right now. Honestly, maybe you were a little bit stupid. I've been there. Maybe you were a little bit rebellious. Maybe you look back at your life and you've just been hurt. And you end up in a place that you never, ever wanted to be. You just feel lost. And you wonder, God, do you see? Do you care? And the answer is, absolutely he does. One of the things that I often say at Christmas services, I'll say something like this. I go, and if, if, if you were the only one in human history that needed Jesus, he would have done everything he did just for you. And I've had a lot of people come up to me and go, I don't know about that. No, I really have. They say to me, are you sure? Like, how, prove that. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, and the parable of the lost sheep tells me this unequivocally and completely. Listen, Jesus Christ, the son of God, stepped into human history. He was born in a manger, in a stable, in a little town called Bethlehem. He came on a rescue mission. If you were the only one in all of human history who needed to be rescued, he would have come just for you. I know that for sure. And the same Jesus who was born in that manger, in that stable, in that little town called Bethlehem, he died on a bloody Roman cross. He died for the forgiveness of our sins. And I know unequivocally and completely, if you were the only one in human history who needed to be forgiven, who needed a clean slate and a fresh start, he would have done it for you. I know that for sure. And the same Jesus that was born in the manger and died on that cross, he stepped out of an empty tomb. One small step, that first small step out of that tomb into life, eternal life, real life that starts now and stretches into forever. If you were the only one in history who needed salvation, who needed eternal life, I know this for sure, all of it, all of it, all of it, he would have done just for you. It's a power one. That's why. That's why we're still celebrating Christmas. It's good news. It's great joy. Let's pray. Jesus is the pioneer and he's the perfecter. He's the pioneer and he's the perfecter. He's the pioneer. Everything that needed to be done 
he's already done. And now his only invitation to you is, hey, you wanna follow me? Follow me into life, follow me into hope, follow me into forgiveness, follow me into salvation. So I guess my question for you right now, whether you're watching online or here in person with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, in light of the fact that everything that needed to be done has already done, is today the day that you step into it, that you take his invitation, take hold of it, move past your past, step into life today, tomorrow, and forever. If that's you right now with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, can you just raise your hand nice and high so I can pray for you right now? That's amazing. If you're watching online and you're at home and it's safe to do so, I would love if you could raise your hand also. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the pioneer that you went first and you're the perfecter and you did it all. So I would pray right now, Jesus, that you would be my savior. I accept your death as payment for my sins, for forgiveness. I pray for that forgiveness. I pray for that clean slate right now. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, that just as you stepped out of the empty tomb, I pray that you would give me the strength to overcome whatever it is that I am facing. That I would live a life that I was meant to live today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus, for the rest of us right now, those of us who have been following you, believing in you for years and years and years, we come to you with a heart of confession right now and we say, right now, Jesus, there's some barriers that we are struggling to crash through. Words that have defined us that we're allowing to define us, habits and addictions that we just can't break free from. We need your help. We need your help. We can't do it on our own. We come to you and we confess to you that there's mountains that we can't climb on our own. We need your help. We can't do it on our own. And there's heartbreak that we can't heal on our own. We need your help. We can't do it all alone. So Jesus, we come to you and we pray that you would do for us what we can't do all by ourselves. And I also pray that you would give us words to speak, faith, not only when we speak to others, but to ourselves. Words of faith, words of courage. We thank you and we love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. I love you guys a lot. Next week, good news. Great joy. We'll see you then.